My name is Carl Haber, and I'm a senior scientist in the physics division at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory at the University of California. My name is David Giovannoni. I'm an archaeophonist. My name is Patrick Feaster. I'm an audio historian. I try to figure out what recorded sounds from the past mean, uh, what they meant at the time, and what they mean for us. They all laughed at Christopher Columbus when he said the world was round. They all laughed when Edison recorded sound. As far as we know, Edward Leon Scott was the first person to record sound but Edison was the first person to reproduce it. Edison came up with his phonograph in 1877, 17 years after Eau Claire de la Lune was recorded. People have asked, did Edison know about the graph or about the work of Edward Leon Scott de Martinville? He did not. The idea that sound could be recorded on a fixed medium over time, that Scott knew, that Edison figured out. Uh, what, what really motivated us to pursue his work was discovering in some of his writings and the writings of other people at the time this goal to really capture performances, uh, speech, song, and so on, very much like what the phonograph was later applied to. I don't mean to make it sound overly simple, but we went to the French Academy of Sciences, asked for Scott's dossier, opened it up, and my God, there were phonograms. This particular batch of phonograms were made in 1860. They were very clear, clean recordings, tracings of sound in soot. And uh, they were never meant, as far as we know, to be played back. Uh, Scott believed that he was creating a kind of sound writing machine. People would eventually learn to read these little squiggles, and it would be a kind of stenography. It wasn't until we played these things back that we were able to demonstrate, yep, it's there. He caught it. What we're hearing is an experiment being done. Scott was not performing in the sense we understand that today. He was singing slowly, deliberately, lugubriously in the case of Eau Claire de la Lune. Edward Leon Scott de Martinville is leaning close into the open end of a barrel, for lack of a better word. It was about a foot and a half long, at the end of which was a little vibrating diaphragm, like an eardrum. It's a membrane that vibrated as he yelled into the, or in this case, as he sung into the barrel, this little diaphragm would vibrate. Attached to that diaphragm was a hog's bristle. At the end of that, he had glued a tiny little piece of a feather. Okay, that's, that's the sound gathering mechanism, all right? Eau claire de la lune, mon ami Pierrot. Now you have the sound recording mechanism. Underneath that little vibrating bristle, he was turning a crank that rotated a drum. The drum is about as big as a, a large coffee can, and he's turning a crank that rotates that drum. The drum is wrapped in a piece of paper that's been held over a smoking lantern so that the smoke from that lantern 
collects on the paper and turns it back. Now, as he turns that barrel and it goes underneath his recording mechanism, underneath that feather duster, the feather duster vibrates and it leaves a little squiggly line on that piece of paper as it turns on the barrel. And it's that little squiggly line that's an analog, quite literally, of his voice. So what we did is we got access to these squiggly line uh, recording sheets that Scott created, and they were digitized so that they could then be read by a computer and essentially calculate what kind of sound would have had to be present in order to push the little writing stylus to squiggle the way it, it appeared to. When Scott was recording his phonograms, he was cranking cylinder by hand, so the, the sound was recorded at a very irregular speed on the drum. Uh, the reason that we can hear it today and have it sound like a tune we can recognize is that alongside the recording he made of the voice, he also recorded a tuning fork. Nice thing about a tuning fork is it always vibrates at the same rate. It's like time code. Now, that's remarkable because, first of all, as far as we know, he didn't expect anybody would actually play this thing back. But he had the foresight to include this objective information about the speed at which the cylinder was being cranked as a record of information along with that is a very, very modern, enlightened, and very clearly thought out thing to do. And, and you just have to say, wow. For every five vibrations of that tuning fork, I had to do a separate adjustment, hundreds of these adjustments throughout the sound file. But bit by bit, over the course of that night, I got to hear Eau Claire de la Lune slowly resolving itself out of that uninterpretable sound that we started with. And so about 5.30 that morning, I was able to sit back and think to myself, my God, I'm the, the first person living today who is able to hear someone singing before the outbreak of the American Civil War. That's the principle all modern sound media are based on. Telephones, sound recording and reproduction, microphones, loudspeakers, it all goes back to that idea that he could harness those vibrations of a, a thin eardrum-like membrane and uh, use them to capture the world of sound. For science, the people who made the first photographs, Edward Moridge with the first motion capture, uh, Leon Scott, capturing sound, and then Edison and Bell and those who followed him. I mean, they essentially developed signal recording. And from a scientific point of view, this was really, this was really the beginning of modern scientific measurement. You know, if Edward Leon were here today, what I would say to him is, uh, dude, good work. <laughs> Just amazing, man. Um, although I try to say it in French. <laughs> 